Before we get started, I want to thank our sponsor, Sonos, for supporting this podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Domino's new podcast, Design Time, where we explore spaces and places with meaning. I'm your host, Jessica Ron Perez, Domino's Editor-in-Chief. Each week, join me along with creative visionaries who will share their journey to designing spaces that move you. We'll explore the emotional side of design, from the ritual of gathering to a mood-boosting paint trick to the renovation tips that will inspire your next project. Home is the best place to start exploring personal style. How do you shape your world from the inside out? Let's discover now on Design Time. Dexter and Byron Pert have an incredible breadth of experiences and inspiration to draw from. The Montreal-based identical twin brothers are the founders and creators of luxury accessories and fashion brand Want Les Essentiels, and their current venture, Goody, a marketplace and retail platform for mission-led design brands and makers. Dexter and Byron sold Want in 2017 to explore new ventures and followed their heart and passion into the home. In their words, Goody is a place where good design and good purpose intersect. They seek to elevate and sell items for the home that are timeless, made with intentionality, and to inspire consumers to prioritize social impact with their purchases. This inspiring purpose-led marketplace empowers their customer to impact change with what they buy. I'm so excited to share my conversation with Byron and Dexter with all of you. Hey Byron, hey Dexter. So you're at home in your apartment building, the iconic Habitat 67 in Montreal. How long have you lived in the building? The thing that's never lost on us is that we're living in design. You know, this is a building that was built 52 years ago this year. And in in the middle of a pandemic, it's just reminded how important that function of design is. We're fortunate enough that we have views of the St. Lawrence River in front of us. And we are somewhat secluded that you almost feel like you're in the country, but you're in the middle of the city. So just a beautiful thing to see how um, space and environment could evolve and change over time and still work for the people that are residing in it in a very different way than it would have been 67 for the first inhabitants. But we're super happy here. It was really cool because we live on two different ends of the building. It's a series of cubes that are cantilevered one on top of each other. It feels like Lego blocks that are just kind of sitting randomly assorted. And we are 250 meters away from each other. So we're in the same building. It still was through through the whole period of COVID. It was kind of a, a chore to go out and try to see how we could see each other and still stay connected with Dexter's young family. And I mean, our nieces that we we're always together with, we're very, very lucky that we were close by each other and able to do social distancing in a more natural setting. Are you actually connected in the building or no? So there's um, essentially three different entrances, lobby one, two, and three. My family's over at lobby three and Barnes and, and his family's in lobby one. We still are distanced, but not, not that distanced to his point. But it's a really cool building because everyone has their own interior and then exterior space as well too. So the way to get to each other is through these long passageways that connect the building. So you could walk through these passerelles on three or four different levels. It becomes like you're living in its own city or environment at the same time. 
So cool. The architect is Moshe Safdie, and he was a McGill student, right? Yeah. He was quite young when he designed the building. Yeah, Moshe Safdie designed the building when he was 23 years old. He was doing his thesis on sort of a new way to live. Uh, It was almost like an urban planning thesis, thinking about what would be the new concepts for a high rise in that modern time of the 60s when people were thinking big and thinking about other ways to live together other than living in large high-rise buildings or in urban sprawl out there in, in these suburban centers. And so his vision was really about understanding the importance of home and living in spaces that had the beauty of nature and everyone had this access to indoor and outdoor, had access to light, had access to privacy and all of these other things that I think really resonate with us because when we talk about home, we always see it as the genesis of of where we cultivate our ideas and, and feel those precious moments. And it's a space that is our space of comfort and sort of slowing down. So it's really interesting that this thinking that was that was around, you know, more than 50 years ago, it resonates so much with us still today. Absolutely. And thinking about putting this podcast together, which we did launch during quarantine and getting it off the ground, I really wanted us to focus on that emotional side of design and what design can do for us and how our spaces can support us. Because we really wanted to give our audience something to kind of visualize and talk about, but not just in a surface only aesthetic way, but to really talk about how our spaces can function for us and, you know, and the meaningful side of design. And I think that that's why I was so excited to talk to you both today, because your vision for your business and how you want to impact the design community just resonates with me so much. And I I really do admire it. Oh, thanks. It's quite interesting because we have an extensive background in fashion. So with the 20 years of working in the fashion industry and just seeing uh, how much the notion of change and trend and no commitment to permanence was something that actually just drove us to home as well, too. I mean, Dexter and I have always found inspiration in design and architecture. And obviously, he mentioned before that we live in it every day. But it, it also felt like this was a moment for the last few years when we started working on, on Goody as a project that we really needed to kind of realign the narrative around home and the importance of it. Of course, we could never have predicted our new realities. It does kind of reshape the conversation about really what matters to us and how we live our lives and, and how we stay connected to the, our loved ones and how we find comfort and safety in our lives. It in some ways feels like a, a big moment and a re conditioning, I think, of, for all of us to try to reimagine how design and architecture play such an important role in our well-being. Also connect with our larger world at a time when there is a tendency to feel isolated right now. So you really giving a platform to makers from all over, artisans from all over, supporting people whose mission you really get behind and really inspiring people who love design to do the same thing. I love that. When we think about home, I always think it's one of those most human environments, those places of family, those places of emotion, those places of story. And then when we sort of imagine what Goody can be, it was about really pulling out those stories that are not our stories, they're from all around the world, and how we all have a shared story in many ways of sitting around the dinner table and having conversations or finding that little nook or corner inside of our homes to have that little pause. We all have artifacts and souvenirs that surround us that remind us of those indelible moments in our lives. And so 
what we wanted to do with the platform was to use that as an opportunity to be able to celebrate those moments and go a little bit deeper than just this surface of commerce and get down to something that felt much more tactile, much more human and much more emotional. And then I think what ends up coming with that, that stickiness or that connection to the social being like us not being alone in the world and how we are connected to other people in the world. And then the other side of it is really having that sort of environmental connection that things in design especially should be built to last. They should be built to function well for us. They should be built to be able to pass on to next generations. That's incredible. I don't want to cast aside what you did with Want because, yes, while it was fashion and tied to seasons and there was a classic element to that, it was a very like timeless luxury accessories collection. So very rooted in, in you know, being classic, being something that lasts forever. That's what that brand stands for. And so that's very much, well, I'm sure it was your intention. Absolutely. This is an evolution of not only our, our, the work that we've done, but the process and the way that Dexter and I think and see the world as well too. So Want Les Essentiels, which is a accessories, a luxury accessories brand that we launched in 2006, right down to the name itself, was built around this really interesting conflict or, or beauty of where uh, desire and necessity meet. So want, uh, the word itself, really being about the desire and then the essentials are about these things that you really, that needed to exist and you needed to have in your life. And we think that that's a great tension, this idea of desirability and then still also knowing that But when we bring something into our home or when we give something as a gift or when we appreciate uh, a story is that timelessness about it as well. And I think that that spirit lives very strongly in what we're doing right now. And when we ventured into the home, we really, really liked this idea of, of items that really surrounded you and that were in your life at all times. All of these things that they're, they're there, they remind you, they comfort you, and they're with you every single day. Can we back up from the journey of launching Goody? Did you know that this was what you wanted to do? What did that path look like? And if I remember, you were working on a hotel project around the same time that sort of informed the start of Goody. We had been working together for close to 20 years, and it was the first time that we had a moment to ask if we wanted to continue our next journey together professionally, which was a kind of a big deal into itself. We had an idea early stages of what Goody could be, but it was more about what we wanted a business to do. We knew that there was a potential to have a significant amount of impact and also to build something that just didn't exist at the time. So uh, I think our approach started with, okay, let's take the time off to reset, which we both needed. And then we kind of came back into it. And then now here we were designing a 33 Casita building. And we had this opportunity now to find these things from around the world and bring them all to Belize and see how you can curate rugs from Nanny Marquina from Spain with bedding from Cocomat from Greece and then mixing that with some finds that we found on the back streets in Guadalajara. And so those were those were just wonderful opportunities and it became the the sort of starting ground for Goody and frankly some of the first brands on Goody came out of that design project that we did with the hotel. The way you frame it really resonates because Actually, your story in Domino was in our travel issue, and we certainly embarked on doing that story during a time when we were we wanted to talk about you know people doing meaningful things in the interior space and in the travel space. And then the pandemic hit, and travel came to a standstill. But the way that you talk about 
creating this space in Belize, which was about slowing down, which was about taking stock of what means something to you and materials that have meaning and, you know, things that last, that's very, very relevant right now. Because I think that is how we are all thinking about our spaces now. We want these, you know, lasting spaces that have meaning and we want to surround ourselves with things that we've either collected or, you know, are made by someone who we admire and and we want to live our values. I think you're totally right, Jessica. And we'd like to think that we're moving out of this sort of mass production, mass consumption mentality where everybody has this homogeneous style and taste and everything sort of looks alike. And then when we think about Belize, we've always had this massive amount of respect and trust in this customer who travels the world, who is exposed, who who has curiosity inside of them and is willing and ready to discover. And I think that that's really what it comes down to is that this person who's looking to find these things that are less known and to go down the roads that are less traveled, Goody really exists to be there for them. And so sometimes now, especially, you know, amidst the pandemic, when you can't travel or likely can't travel all around the world, you know, bringing some of these stories into people's lives really resonates with us in a moment like this now, probably more than ever. And did it seem like such a far-flung thing to create this space so far away from where you live. Yeah, kind of wild. It was actually pretty wild for me because I had never been to Belize before. So even taking on a design project, the hotel's named Matachica. The owner said to us, he didn't really think that Belize had this iconic design style. So he really felt for us that it was going to be exciting to entrust us with creating that story, that mood, that identity that feeling, you know, we haven't been there. We were both of Jamaican origin, but this was pretty exciting because we felt what the best way to capture the soul of the people that went after going there two or three times was to really work on a ton of handmade products there. They are uh, wonderful craftspeople in wood making and in concrete building. There's just, there's really, really great artisanship uh, there. And then we brought another global layering to it of products that were really from around the world, from across South America and Africa and then North America and the like. feels great. We're constantly thinking about that guest and how do we make this a place of discovery for people? There's so much value that you could create in someone being in a physical hotel room or in a retail store or landing on a digital platform and learning, learning, discovering new things, being stimulated in different ways as opposed to just being brought through a a transactional experience. I mean, one of the things that I remember reading on your site, and it it really touches on what you're talking about, is you really wanted to empower the customer to be the curator. But I do think that that is sort of the ultimate goal in our homes, is to be that curator. I actually just wrapped up writing my editor's note last night for our fall issue, and I was very inspired by Kamala Harris saying, we'll look back on this time, you know, we'll tell our kids and our grandkids not just what we felt, but what we did. And I think that to me, that really resonates with how you live, the things you buy, the things that you actively pursue, and then the change that you make. So that to me seems to be what you're doing with Goody, where you're really empowering people to curate, to buy, and to really act with their purchasing decisions. And I love that idea. 
every single day our inbox are getting loaded with all of these items and things. And then we have this plethora of options from all of these different um, websites. And yet we're asking people to have this more conscious, more responsible consideration in their buying patterns. I think it's incumbent on us as editors to really put forward some choices that will help people make a better decision. And so if that comes through the lens of information and knowledge, that's part of it. If it comes through assessment and transparency and just doing the hard work of responsible and sustainable sort of rigor, that's part of it as well too. And if it's also just being an arbiter of of seeing a lot of things that are out there in the world and then finding the things that probably will resonate the most through just a pure design language, that's great too. And ultimately we think that if we put forth products and stories that we've battle tested, then what we're actually imparting is something that we really believe in, something that we really trust, something that we really care about. I think that's what's really, really important in these times. Exactly. You are editors. I mean, the process that you just described is very much what my team goes through. The rigor of wanting to see a product in person or actually touch it and be able to really vet it as editors before we're endorsing it. I think that's so important the design industry and let's say the fashion industry as well, like has so much work to do. And I do think it is on retailers and designers to do that work, to be able to provide consumers with responsible choices. Can you talk about some of the work that you're doing and just how we can push the design community forward? One of the things that I I still remember early on, we knew that there were a ton of brands, makers, small and large, uh, unknown and established, that were already doing good work. I think at the same time, we recognized quite early on, there were a number of artisans who just didn't have the platform to share their stories, to share their product, to trade, for instance. And I think one of the things that I think is more evident than ever is that if you create and provide a platform for it, that could change the narrative. So the industry needs to evolve. I I think it's less on the maker's side than it is on the industry as a system. So that would be the retailers, the business platforms. And I think in the design and furniture space, it is a right time, I think, because we've seen the conversation change and we think it's critical to be a part of that change to show that there is not only a business here, but that there's a consumer demand for it and that there are these makers who have been working this way for generations. I mean, we're not talking about anything new. And in some ways, it's how our parents used to buy furniture just one or two generations ago, right? Exactly. This is a, a, a reorientation to that. And we really want to highlight the people that are paying the most attention to all parts of how that product is made, the impact that that product's making in the communities where they're from, and how that's going to serve the user. It's about really taking a holistic and, and committed approach to making significant change because the consumer's there. And I think what we feel adamant about is that we know there is this, this significant body of consumer base and then also in the maker side. And we wanted to be there to bring them together. I think that's amazing. Where are you currently looking for inspiration? So what is your sourcing process look like? How are you discovering in this moment that we're not able to travel as much? What does that process look like for the two of you? I think it's a little bit back to basics. When we launched the platform, we had very specific goals. And we had this idea of, let's tell the story of good people, good design, and good impact. 
And those were sort of the three criteria, and, and it sort of leads how we run the company. And I think that right now, what this sort of slowdown or, or work from home environment has, has really shown us is that we were in the right place to be having these conversations about home before we all recognized literally the importance of home in our lives. And so thinking about the things that we would love, the stories that we want to tell, they really reside in the home. And we're starting to think about these corners and spaces that really work for you. Now we're thinking about how we're all eating from home a little bit more and what's the flatware and sort of the dinnerware that we're going to want to have for these smaller, immediate environments that we're trying to create and thinking of uh, these little corners in the house where for pensive moments. And I think that's really exciting for us. It gives us a lot of rooms to play with I mean, as we're spending more and more time in our homes and really thinking about these sort of meditative spaces that are important to us. And, and that's been really, really, really fun for us. And it's been quite successful. I do think in this time, we are going through a similar process with making sure that our content is resonating, supporting our audience at a time when not everyone's used to focusing on their home and and really giving people the tools to function in their spaces, make them happier. But I think that if you are going to be organizing your office at home or you are going to be, you know, setting the table every night, really selecting things that have meaning, a basket that has, you know, you know who made it and the dinnerware that has a story behind it. I think those things make people feel good. And make great conversations, yeah, too. absolutely. Small in size, big on sound. With the Sonos Move, your go-to podcast or current song obsession gets a major upgrade thanks to surprisingly rich bass, a sweeping soundstage, and automatic true play tuning technology, which continually adapts the sound for wherever you are and whatever you're listening to. It sounds just like concert quality, even if you're singing along loudly and badly, like I do. Sonos has been my speaker go-to for 10 years now, thanks to its clear, immersive quality that fills the room at any volume. Summer never sounded better. Go to Sonos.com to learn more. The other piece that I just have to bring up because I've been obsessed with it since, since I saw it. It was probably like five years ago, was you constructed this beautiful greenhouse for Pidiomo, right? Yeah. And that space was so, so beautiful. And it was just this very, very simple structure and basically just like a glass little greenhouse, but it was a pop-up retail environment. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Because I do think, you know, as I'm picturing the building that you all live with in these glass walls and beautiful self-contained rooms. I love that space. One of the things that was really important for us for that space, and I think in every space, is that the space has the ability to evolve over time, that it has the ability to change and sort of reinvent itself. And so having a simple structure that has complication, but it's simple in its form, a really great way from a creative standpoint to just keep renewing it. And I'm not sure how many of the listeners um, have heard of or have been to Pitiwomo. The number is around 40,000 people sort of land in Florence, Italy for a four-day emporium of men's fashion. So it's just frenetic. There's people everywhere walking down the street. Everyone sort of has their best outfits on. It's all about the street style. It's all yeah. about the street style. And trade. 
But the conversation that we wanted to have in that moment was with all of this sort of frenetic pace on the outside, what if you can slow down the concept to something that was going to feel timeless, something that was going to feel essential, something that was going to be there forever. And it was about taking all of that speed and slowing it down within that greenhouse where a conversation could really happen, where as all of these people were sort of going by very, very quickly, they can see into the room, but there was something very intimate happening on the inside. And so it's about understanding space that's around you, but at the same time, having that sort of um, privacy and very, very personal experience. It was that real tension between something that feels very slow and almost romantic, like building in a greenhouse, you know, what you would do when you were planting your garden, but then having that in a space that was very urban and, and as I said, very, very frenetic. Absolutely. It is so special. How do you reset and energize a space? Right now, our, our spaces do need to function for us in so many different ways, but how do you each kind of personally reset and energize your space? And then also, how do your styles, personal styles differ? My husband and I, as I mentioned before, we were living in Montreal. So we had this apartment habitat. We're really reimagining how we were going to live and make not only the most of our space, but also the, be the most connected to our environment. And we started painting the whole backdrop of our kitchen into another color that actually matched our cabinet. So it just has this kind of tone on tone feeling. We painted uh, in our guest room a yellow wall, which is, mm. is brilliant. Maybe not something that most people would choose. What to color do, yellow? It's uh, it's called babouche. It's Pharaoh and Ball, and it's actually very close to the color that we have on Goody as well. Too, we talk about the sun and joy and mm. optimism often in the company. So it's a very saturated, very kind of positive, bright, sunny yellow. Very positive, sunny, bright yellow, and just that. It's an amazing thing how putting a strip like still evident that it's, it makes a statement in a room. But how that could not only elevate a space, but also change your your mindset and how you work and wake up in the morning and you see that pop of color or you see that light. And I think you touched it perfectly. That sunny optimism is a great way to just bring an element to an environment. So I'd say painting. And the second thing, because we've been also spending a lot of time outside on our terrace, but we have plants and plants and plants and more plants. Like it, and, and I think it's also one of the best things that I would recommend to anybody for your home from a million reasons, from just air, but then also just giving that closeness to nature in a physical environment where you live or work, it does wonders. And I think it does uh, really a lot for, for health and well-being, but also just your beauty. One of the beauties of, of having plants in, in, in windows is taking advantage of that light bringing life into your home as well too so we're quite fortunate now that we i mean we have windows all around us and dexter has his solarium where he works is is almost a greenhouse into itself as well too and it, it does a lot for both of us and we we always think it's an important part of any interior mm. and dexter how about you with your space for my wife and myself i think that he, he, the house became very much a full-time space for for all of us, for the kids and, and for the parents at the same time. So I think the part one was just sort of carving out um, who gets what space throughout the day. And then the space that I ended up taking was the solarium. And it's it's a space that my wife and I 
pre-kids. It used to be our little hangout place for coffee in the morning and then at night, a glass of wine together. So it was, you know, gaining the back that space mm. was, uh, was a lot of fun. It was it took a little bit of negotiating with the kids who have had it as their slime room and playroom for, for many, many years. And that's the space that I think now today, it's still the, the, the one thing that I'll remember during this period of, of spending a really a large amount of our time, especially in those months of March and April, before it was, you know, really, really beautiful outside. Um, or we were able to go out and spend time with with friends and loved ones. And I think, as I said before, we're on the water. So, you know, we always have that connection to sort of water and, and green space and everything that means to us. Mm, that's so nice. Beyond yellow, what colors are you kind of gravitating towards right now? One interesting thing about the yellow, I think we're in this really strange time right now. And whether it's the pandemic or whether it's the social unrest or whether it's just this feeling of uncertainty. I think that there's a need for optimism and I think that there's a need for color. And so ours begins with the yellow because it speaks to that sort of joyful optimism that we're all probably yearning for and for brighter days ahead. And so that's really exciting for us is to really sort of um, commit to the yellow. When I think of these blues that, that obviously come out of the relationship that we've been having, you know, close to the lake and spending time outside. And then obviously the greens as well too. It's not lost on us how sort of those blues and those greens and those yellows. And then when you think about how they connect together, it's a very powerful combination of hues and colors. Yeah, I, I was just gonna add that we really wanted to create a different visual identity for interiors beyond that kind of sameness that we've seen, I think across many different kind of and Eurocentric or Danish Scandinavian design and very muted and neutral colors. And one of the things that we really encouraging people at their interiors or just life in general is, is much more personalized, bolder, mix and matching orientation. I think we're constantly trying to encourage people to find something that really relates or resonates to them that is is more personalized uh, it could be their favorite color but how do you mix that together with something else to create like you know some some whimsy and and something authentic in terms of an interior and and that's what inspires us our walls are all white like i mean i'm in our apartment right now the base is white and we have a black and white foundation but it's how you bring color and fabrics and materiality and texture all together that I think creates a really dynamic interior in a home. Well, I mean, even the notion of matching, you know, it's yeah. like, let's throw that out. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Well, it's perfect. Exactly. Let's throw that out for sure. Um, <laughs> I love that. One more thing I do want to touch on. You are also selling some really vibrant and very special wallpaper. Can you talk about that? A dear friend of ours, her company's called New Wall, and she represents a Spanish brand that Dexter and I have actually been huge fans of for a long time called Cordonet. They have been working with their recycled paper, their non-toxic dyes. Their approach to wallpaper making and design was just inspiring to us for years. And we didn't actually plan to have wallpaper on the site to start. And then we did a selection of, of products together um, with them for the platform. Back to colors you were where you were before. It's exciting with wallpaper to have a pattern and see how different it is in different variations, right? So there's this one that's that's kind of like lily pads and it looks like a completely different artwork effectively in all of the different colorways. And that's exciting because you could take a design but really find a way to make that your own um, depending on, on the assortment. So yeah, that's, um, we love the wallpaper from, from Cordonet. Amazing. 
In challenging times, we lean on the things that support us, uplift us, and make us happy. In this signature franchise, Domino editors ask our guests, quickfire style, about the 10 things that are making them happy. From the books that inspire them, to the personal items that tell their story, to the places they love to eat, travel, and feed their soul. We're going to say Byron, and then we're going to say Dexter, because I, I want to hear from both of you. Okay, so. <laughs> Rapid fire. I'm going to start with design hero. Who is your design hero, Byron? Dieter Rams, Byron. Amazing. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, and, and what if Byron takes yours, Dexter? It, it, it just happened, but I'm going to say Moshi Safti. And those two, I'm sure, live very harmoniously together. Very harmoniously <laughs> together. Like twins. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay. Favorite color and color pairing we touched on, but just quick fire. Okay. So I would say sunny yellow because I did it. Okay. Uh, navy blue. Oh, and pairing. Oh. I would say sunny yellow with, with royal blue. Amazing. What's the other? I love yellow with brown. Like I, I love it with a, like a mud brown as well. Ooh, that's nice. I'm going to say blue with like a rust. Oh, oh that's nice. That's nice. Favorite texture or favorite material of the moment, Dexter? I'm going to go with court and steel. Oh, I like that. Oh, I like that too. Okay. Um, (laughs) Material of of the moment. I'm just keep thinking vintage. So I'm going to say I'm really into all things that are teak vintage right now. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'd say. Oh, that's nice. That just warms up a space instantly. Okay, favorite hotel. One of you can pick the one you designed and one of you can't. Oh, okay, well, I guess I said it. So Byron says Matichika and Dexter, I know what he's going to say. Uh, Round Hill in Jamaica. Oh, I've never been. And I'm going to throw in a third just for it to add yeah. another. Etham in Stockholm. That's a good one. Oh, yes. Love Etham. Okay, where can you not wait to go back to once we can travel? Round Hill in Jamaica. Etham in, in Stockholm. <laughs> I know mine is Nairobi. We were there two, oh, a year and a half ago yeah. for, for the United Nations uh, Assembly on, on the Environment. And I, I've been dying to get back to Nairobi. So that's mine for sure. Amazing. Nairobi is very, very special. Um, okay. Favorite design object or thing you're living with in the moment? I'll go first. My kids' eco birdie furniture, 100%. Okay, so I'm going to do two because I'm living with it in the moment, is um, the Eames um, high pad chair. We have a vintage one. Uh, it's what I work on, and, and it is the most comfortable, best work chair out there. So I would say that definitely the Eames high pad. There's a low pad as well, too. Okay, favorite clothing designer? Mine's always been Dries Van Noten. There you go. And mine's always been Come de Gasson. Favorite book or thing you've read recently or forever? We did the Whitney Museum uh, pop up all last holiday, mm-hmm. but the curator um, from the from the store, she actually asked if they could put some books into our into the goodie concept, and uh, it was super exciting because she passed on this book that's called Fewer Better Things, and she said, "This is the epitome of what you guys are doing at Goodie for me," and, and I just finished reading it. I think it's um, from Glenn Adamson, and I highly recommend it. Dex. I mean, favorite book of all time is probably Dreams from My Father by Barack Obama. Probably uh, he's he's a little bit my iconic hero. And then I think the book that um, I enjoyed reading the most in the last well year, year and a half was Sapiens for obvious reasons. Absolutely. Favorite plant or flower? Calla lilies. Mm, nice. Um, the flowers of, of our wedding. And it's still, to this day, the one flower that I think that scent 
in my home is the most um, reassuring and refreshing smell. Mm. My first instinct is a great question is hydrangea. And I've always loved them in single form or in a, in a bunch. It's beautiful in, a, in all colors. Big fan of hydrangea. Mm, love that. Okay. Favorite vintage source, or you could just say f- favorite vintage item. If you're saying vintage teak, you're obsessed with, but what are you into? We might have to share the same one. I, I'm, we're four boys, Jessica, and we're the youngest. Oh, wow. And we have two older brothers, and one of them is an architect, and the other one is a, a, a vintage uh, collector, actually. Oh, amazing. I mean, it's a, a small independent business called Galt 7 Vintage, and he literally sources stuff for us. Like, if we sometimes we don't even, if we don't have a say in it, he's, he's just sending us pictures over text and face that he found. I found some things for your wall, and cool. he's a curator in his own right, and, and that's definitely one of our, that would probably be our go-to for both of us. A hundred percent. Does he yeah. live yeah. in Montreal, or where does he live? He lives in Cambridge, Ontario, actually. Oh, wow. Just outside of Toronto. Incredible. Favorite way to unwind? Feels too obvious, but and I'm going to give him credit. Dexter introduced me to meditation a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. and there's no question that became a, a, a real uh, resource for unwinding for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, for me, for sure, it's a, a glass of, of white wine, Chardonnay, with my wife on the terrace. Um, favorite artist, or I'm sure there are many, but favorite maker or artist? B.D. Graft. He's a German German-born but but Dutch-based artist um, that my husband introduced me to. Incredible work, such beautiful work. When you said artist, I thought you were you meant like a musician. musician. <laughs> cool, favorite musician. I'd love it. So yeah, I would definitely say that between Bob Marley and 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 Miles Davis. Well, thank you both so much. I. Really hope we get to meet each other in person soon. Twin thing. You know how twins are. We I mean, are, we twins, always, we need to unite. We need to unite. We find our way to each other always. Thank you. Design Time is produced by Team Domino, with special thanks to Alex Redgrave, Linda Denahan, Liz Mundell, Britt Ashcraft, and Ali Elquiza. Our theme music is by the talented Alex Weinstein. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen.